0: You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Good to be back with you guys. Um, for those who don't know, my name is Francis. I minister out in the um, Bayview district, um, and which I don't know what I'm doing out there. I, I so don't fit. I, I've never even smoked pot. Um, (laughs) sorry if that disappoints some of you, um, but I want to thank you guys for having me, I mean, for several reasons, I just love coming here and teaching every once in a while, but the other reason is, like three years ago, my wife bought me these jeans, and you can't really wear these in Bayview, and so I've worn them like four times, and it's every time I teach at Reality, um, (laughs) so it's just good to use these, it's a good gift, um, I, I, I want to I share some thoughts today, and um, I, I've been reading through the Bible in a year. That's, I, I try to do that every year, and, and uh, with the people I lead, we, we just try to read through the Bible in a year, because I, I don't want to be dependent on someone else telling me what this book says. I want, I want to read it myself, I want to read it over and over, get it in context, not pull verses in and out here and there, and get someone who's smarter than me telling me what it really means. I just want to read it over and over and over. Now, the downside of reading through the Bible in a year is there are certain sections that, that are not as exciting as others. And, um, and so you're like, oh, man, you know, you don't want to be bummed about God's Word, but there's just certain parts where you're like, oh, um. And this last week, we were reading the book of Job. Now, I like the book of Job. I like like the first two chapters and the last two chapters, right? But in the middle, there's like 30 chapters of nonsense, you know, where it's just like everyone's sharing their opinion, and there's some truth to it, some lies to it. And so I'm reading it just going, what do I even do with this? Um, so I wasn't excited to read it, but as I started reading, it was like, boom, God, like, revealed so much to me these last two weeks where I'm going, how did I miss this? This is what the whole book of Job is about. Um, See, see, because I, I grew up in the church somewhat, and so when you mention the book of Job immediately, people's minds go straight to the trials that Job went through. And if you grew up in a church culture, you'll hear people, you know, go, Oh man, I sprained my ankle. I am just like Job. You, you know where, right? Whatever trial they go through, immediately they go, I am Job. Why Lord? Why me? And, and so we jump to those trials in the book of Job. But you've got to understand there's something that happens before that whole trial episode happens. And I've taught this part before, and it is so weird that we skip through it. We kind of skim through it and go, oh, but look at the pain Job went through. And I'm saying, no, you can't miss that first part. I mean, we don't like it. Some of us don't want to believe it, but it's there. It's in Scripture. Some of us hate this section. It's, it's, it's in uh, verse 6 of Job chapter 1, where it says, uh, oh, man, I can't see it. Okay, there we go. One day, <laughs> is there any way to turn this? Oh, no, 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 here we go. Okay, here we go. I forgot my glasses. I turned 47 this summer. I know. Okay, so it says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going to and fro on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. "'Does Job fear God for nothing?' Satan replied. "'Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? "'You have blessed the work of his hands, "'so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. "'But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, "'and he will surely curse you to your face.' "'The Lord said to Satan, "'Very well, then. Everything he has is in your power. "'But on the man himself do not lay a finger.' And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. That's strange, isn't it? And so what, what I used to do when I would teach this passage is go, yeah, you know, there's a part where Satan, and, you know, and then let's go on. Okay, here's the trials that Job went through. And here's how we, as human beings, survive the trials that we go through in life. But I'm going, no, we can't skip that first part. I know it's strange, and I know some of you hate it. You hate this thought that there's something going on up there that that we're not really, we don't get to see. You hate the thought that, wait, wait a second. Are you serious? It says that Satan somehow went in the presence of God and these angels, and Satan's like accusing, and there's this this cosmic battle going on where where, where Satan's going, hey, no one really loves you. Job doesn't even really love you. Man, if you you would let me, just let me have some trials in his life, and guess what he's going to do? He's going to curse you to your face. He'll do it. And God looks at Satan and goes, Okay, fine. Have your way with him. Start taking things away from him. And it's not little things. I mean, Satan ends up taking everything that Job possesses. Not only that, he has all of his children die. And then later on, he, 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 he inflicts Job with these sores all over his body. So he's just sitting there in agony, taking a, a clay pot that's been broken and just scraping because his body is itching and the pain and everything else so bad. He's scraping these boils off his body, losing everything. And so this is so hard for us to read, because if you believe this, then, then it feels almost like we're like pawns on a chessboard, right? It's like, wait, so, so God can just do that? And you just feel like the servant, or worse yet, you feel like some sort of created being who's made only for his glory, <laughs> Right? And somehow there's something that is superior or supreme or sovereign over my feelings and desires. There's this gap. When you read the book of Job that says something else is going on and, and then it gets worse because at the end, after all of this bantering back and forth, Job going, no, I'm living a righteous life. And his friend's like, no, you're not. God must be punishing you for something. He's like, man, I can't think of anything. You know, and they're going back and forth arguing about this. And Job's just like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. And then the way God answers Okay, if you didn't hate the first part, you will hate the end. Because when Job just almost, almost cautiously and humbly is like, why? God's answer, his answer is terrible. His answer in Job 38 was, you don't, you don't ask me questions, I answer you. I, I, I ask you the questions. It says, God answers Job out of the storm, and he says this. He goes, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me. This is his answer. Is, first of all, Job, you're a man, I'm God. I know you want to sit there on the earth and question me. Why would you do this? He goes, but I'm actually the one that gets to ask the questions. And he says, here's the first question. Where were you when I created the world? And he says, tell me because you have so much knowledge. Come on, Job, I could have used you back then. (laughs) That is a terrible answer. The answer should have been, oh, I'm so sorry, Job. Did that hurt your feelings? Was that difficult? No, but his answer is, Job, where were you when I created this world? See, it's an answer that shows us this superiority. It's an answer that shows us this authority, and we can't stand the thought that someone could be so far beyond us. And yet, if you read Scripture, these are the answers that people in Scripture give, you read Romans, you know, in Romans 9, when, when, when Paul says, wait, if you're probably wondering if God created us a certain way, then how can he find fault? And, and, and the way Paul answers that question is with another one. He says, who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall the thing created speak to its molder? Why did you make me this way? What kind of answer is that? His answer is, what are you talking about? You're a piece of clay, and God molded you into something. Do you ever see the thing that was created speak back to its creator? Why did you make me a cup? I didn't want to be a He goes, these are the answers in Scripture. And God says in Isaiah 55, he goes, you see the heavens up there? He goes, as high as the heavens are above the earth... That's how much higher my thoughts are than your thoughts. That's how much higher my ways are than your ways. You guys, it's a very, very humbling, humbling passage. Um, I I was going to bring this illustration today, and I I just couldn't figure out how to do it. But I I did this thing in my church uh, years ago, probably 15 years ago. We used to have these things called overhead projectors. Okay, so do you guys remember those? Okay, some of you guys don't. You, you were like a fetus, and uh, it, they, they, uh, there was, there were these transfers. Before we could put words on a screen through computers and stuff, there was this thing where it shines light, and you could put a transparency on it, and it would just flash onto. It was very high tech back then, and you would like, you know, professional, you know, guys that would put the things on the screen, and it would shoot up there, and. What I did one week was uh, I drew a circle on that screen, so everyone see the circle up there, and then I had like this clear cup, like a clear plastic cup, and I had like seven or eight of those, you know those roly-poly bugs? The ones where if you flick them, they roll into a ball. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, 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 you guys are like, what? And and I put them on the overhead, you know, inside the cup, so they're just kind of running around, And I told a group about this size, I go, okay, everyone pick one, because I'm going to release the cup, and we're going to see which one gets to the edge first, okay? So so everyone pick one, cheer for a bug, and uh, and I release it, and you just see these thousands of people screaming, like, go, go, you know? (laughs) And you know, when the one bug gets across the circle, you know, the certain section cheers, and everyone's like, no, do it again, do it again, you know, um. But my whole point, I was going to do it today, but I thought, oh, I don't want to go digging for bugs. And uh, <laughs> But the whole point was I, would, I looked at the group afterwards. I go, do you think these bugs had any idea what was going on? Do you think they had any comprehension that there's thousands of grown-ups, adults, <laughs> screaming for them to get across this magic market, this line? Like they have no clue, they're running, they're doing their little thing. They, they don't know, wow, a light, what's this light? And they just start scurrying. They don't even know what's going on. Meanwhile, there's this bigger picture going on in this room. Actually, what the book of Job is showing us, that you guys, it's not about this right now. Okay, this is all we see. But if this is your whole life, like you're going to try to make sense of the earth by just this, it's never going to happen that somehow, right now, as we're, go, we're, we're talking about this, there's a bigger picture going on. That there's an accuser. The Bible says in, in Ephesians 6, he goes, this, this battle that we go against, it's not flesh and blood. There's a bigger battle going on. There's a spiritual warfare going on. And somehow, I'm a part of it, somehow the bible says there's this cloud of witnesses that's looking on and and they're watching how i act and so so my th- Thoughts, my words, my actions, they're not just about me, and it's not just about you, but there's something bigger going on. That was the book of Job. Was was watch, no, look, watch what Job does. This guy loves me. No, even if he goes through difficult times, he still loves me. Look, see, see, look, I told you he, 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 he's gone through all this and he still says, Blessed be my name, he won't curse me, even through the trials. And somehow we have to get beyond the here and now, what we can physically see, if we want to make sense of this life. Otherwise, we'll be like Job and his friends, just talking about these immediate things and talking nonsense and philosophy and I'm so wise. No, I'm wiser and everyone has so much wisdom. But God's saying, No, what I want you to do is humble yourself. And realize, my thoughts are so far beyond yours. My ways are so far beyond yours. You'll never understand the trials in your life until you understand the bigger picture. And that's what the book of Job is about. And the passage that I wanted to share real quickly comes out of the book of James, and it's, and it's about pain. And you guys, what I just said does not mean that our pain is not real. It is very real. I don't, I don't know if you've ever hurt to the point where even though it's an emotional hurt, it feels like you can feel it physically in your body, where, you, where it's not just crying and it's not just a few tears, but it's, it's like this anguish where, where you just think, I will do anything to get rid of this pain right now. Man, I understand why people do the things that they do because the pain is so real and you just want to escape and get rid of it. I mean, just this week, I, I, I was in you know, Bayview just talking to some guys and someone was just shot and killed about an hour beforehand. And it was a guy that I had talked to that I had shared with and I had shared my life with and boom, he was gone. I mean, this happens just about every week. Several people were shot this week. But I'm talking to some guys, talking them through it, and and they're like, hey, why don't you stick around? We're having a barbecue. I go, what? They go, well, it's also, you know, this other guy's birthday, and you know what? Life's got to go on. So we're going to drink, we're going to party, and we have to move on. And I thought, you know, gosh, I get that. Here's someone that's so dear to you and I don't want to face it so maybe if I medicate myself enough I can just dull and not think about it because the pain is so real. Man, I, I remember a time in my life when it just hurt so bad. Like for week after week after week where I was just like, I can't take this anymore. And just the thought goes through your head, maybe I should just end it all. Okay, so I understand There are times where it's like, this pain is killing me. And then you have a verse like James chapter 1, verse 2, which is maybe the most difficult verse in the Bible to apply. In James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Okay, trials of many kinds. It's not saying one type of trial. It's talking about the word here is actually to be surrounded. It's a word they would use, like if someone's about to get jumped by seven or eight guys, it, it, you're surrounded, you're going, oh my gosh. And sometimes this is the way life's going to feel. You're going to go, man, there's like all these different, that's the word here, the various is like multi. Faceted, different types of trials are all around you. You're going, man, not only am I sick, but then this is going on with my family, this is going on with my friends, this is going on at work, this is, you know, all of this is surrounding you, and the Bible says consider it pure joy when that happens. I mean, that's what you normally do, right? Yes, (laughs) look at this. I mean, how do we take a verse like this, consider it pure joy, absolute joy, when you're surrounded by these trials? Because I don't know about you, but typically, I consider it pure joy when there are no trials in my life, right? It's like, man, this is a good week, this was a good month, this was a good year. Why? Because there were no trials, and then you read scripture, which so often happens, says the exact opposite of what you've thought your whole life. He says, no, consider pure joy. My brothers, my sisters, you can be joyful in this. Consider pure joy, the greatest, highest joy when your life is surrounded by trials. Why? He goes on, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So the Bible says, consider it joy when all these trials are around you because that's going to produce perseverance in you. It's going to make you stronger. And then if you let that perseverance happen for a while, then you end up being mature. Now, I know some of you guys are listening to this going, that doesn't sound that great to me, you know? Like I don't want to be mature that badly. (laughs) Right? I'm kind of happy being oblivious to things, you know. Like I'll be shallow, just don't give me pain. That's that's the the it's just that's that that's the problem here. Okay? The Bible says that these trials are gonna what is, is what makes you mature, complete. That's the problem. See, God, our creator, his desire, he wants me to be mature. He wants me to go through this process that the Bible calls sanctification, where I become more and more like Christ. He wants me to be holy. But my problem is I just want to be happy. Right? And, and God says this testing This is such a great word, this word for testing, this testing of our faith that produces these trials. The testing is the word they would use, like like a a silversmith, a silversmith. um, He would take like a giant pot and he would put silver, raw silver in this pot, and then he would have a fire going. Like he would just heat it up crazy hot to where all the silver would melt. And then what happens when you melt silver is all the impurities rise to the top. And then the silversmith would take a a thing, (laughs) I don't know what it was, and he would scoop the top layer out of the silver because all the dross, the impurities rose to the top. So he would scrape that top layer off and then he would heat it up again. And then a little bit more of the impurity would rise to the top and he'd scoop it off over and over and over. This was called testing. And the way a silversmith could tell that the silver was clean or pure or tested is he could look down and he could see his own reflection in that pot of silver. Then he knew it had been tested. Did you get the picture here? God's saying, I'm testing you. See, when trials come in your life, all of the junk rises to the top. All the doubt all of you that wants to curse God, question him, why are you doing that? All of the temptation rises to the surface. Well, if you're going to do this to me, watch what I do. I could just care less about your commands now. And all of that rises to the top, and God saying, no, 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 don't do that. Let me just see all that junk, all that impurity. You thought you loved me. You thought you were so pure before me, but you weren't, and all this junk. Let me scrape it out of your life come on, this is part of the process. And you see the picture why this happens over and over and over again is one day God wants to test us to a point where he can look down at me and see his own reflection and go, oh, there he is, there he is, there's Francis, look at where he used to be. But all the trials, all the temptation, it got him to this point where somehow in this big picture it's important to him that he's like, look, he's just like one of my sons. He's just like Jesus look at that. I'm looking at a reflection of myself. He says that testing produces. He goes, let it, let it go through. Let, let the perseverance happen So because God is concerned about the end result. He wants to see this person who's mature at the end of his life. That's what I want to be. I mean, we want that, but if that's the greatest desire of our lives, then we'll welcome the trials and say, God, you know what? I want that more than I want comfort. I want at the end of my life to be like Jesus. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want the fellowship of his sufferings. Everything there is. To, that's, that's, that used to be what it meant to become a Christian. You actually wanted to become like Christ at the end of your life, you wanted to be mature. and we, we changed it to, oh, okay, now you don't have to go to hell. Like that's the whole reason. And it used to be that people said, you know, I, I want to be like Jesus, I see him as beautiful. I see him as the model of the way all of us were created to be, the servant, that, that understands the bigger picture and understands the brevity of life and lives. For, I want that to give my life to other people. I want to become like Christ. He says, "Let all these things happen." Someone described to me like this: It's it's like when you bake a cake. I don't know if you, how many of you bake cakes? I I, I don't. Um, <laughs> but I've I've watched Cake Boss. And uh, and you think about all the things that go into a cake, right? Think about the ingredients. You got butter. You got the mix. You got uh, <laughs> um, eggs. Throw out what else? Milk, oil, Pringles. Oh, sprinkles! I'm like, wow, it's a good cake. Um, Okay, but you think about the salt, uh, baking powder, baking soda, okay, vanilla. Think about each ingredient. Have you ever taken a cube of butter and like cut like a fourth of it and just let it dissolve in your mouth? (laughs) Have you ever taken flour, just like a quarter cup, not too much, just a quarter cup, and just throw it in your mouth? Or vanilla, or baking flour, whatever. Um, my point is, what if you did that with every ingredient? You crack an egg, go, ooh, that's not good. Um, and, then you, and, and you say, let's, let's not use that. Let's not use this vanilla stuff. That doesn't taste good. Let's not use this flour. It doesn't taste good. Let's not use this butter. It doesn't taste good. And you start leaving this stuff out. Then you're just left with a pile of sugar, Right? You don't do that. You grab every ingredient because why? You don't care how each one tastes. What matters is I'm going to mix it all together and I'm going to throw it in the oven and what I care about is what comes out at the end that it's this mature, complete product. See, and that's what God's saying is, it's like, man, I can look at so many ingredients that he's put into me, and I'm like, man, I don't like that. I don't like that. Why did I go through that? Why do I have to struggle with that? And he's saying, no, friends, it's just, I'm concerned about the maturity, the completeness. At the end, I I just want this thing to come out of the oven, that I can look down and see my own son, and it's these trials and everything that goes on. See, but again, we're not thinking about what God wants and how he wants us to reflect Christ and be matured at the end of our lives. We just want to feel good right now. And the Bible says, if that's you, then he says, in the next verse, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, like some of you are going, I'm just not there. I just want to be, he goes, if anyone lacks wisdom, he says, he should ask God, ask him. Look, some of you right now are saying, man, I didn't get that. I didn't understand the bigger picture. I'm I'm still not sure if I really want to be like Christ. I just wanted to feel good even coming here was so that I could feel better about myself. and, and, And it's like God's saying, pray to me. Pray to me. I'll help you understand this. Because right now, you're going, man, I don't want any trials. And he goes, man, I get that, I get that, but pray to me. Ask, and I'll give you the wisdom. This is not just some verse that you take in isolation the next time you're going to take a test. and go, God, give me wisdom. You know, I want to ace this test. That's not what this is about. It's about in the midst of trials. If you don't have the wisdom to understand what's going on in your life and how this could be a good thing and how you can use it for his glory, he goes, pray for that type of wisdom and God will give it to you. He'll give it to you generously. Man, I'm telling you, I look back now, I thank God. You know what? I'm thankful that my mother died while she's giving birth to me. I'm actually grateful for that now. I'm actually grateful for when my stepmom died when, in a car accident when, when I was eight. I go, God, you know, I get it now. I'm actually thankful I'm actually, this is crazy, but I'm thankful that I had no relationship with my dad and the way he beat me and rejected me and everything else. And, and, and then when he died when I was 12, man, I, I actually go, gosh, that, that made me who I am now. I'm actually glad there's a, I understand this life is just short, facing death throughout those early years. I'm going, I get it. I get it. You're, you're turning me into something. A person that could actually help others in their grieving. Thank you, Lord. See, but that's not normal. That's a wisdom that comes from God. He's saying, man, even through the pain, ask God, give me wisdom. Help me understand this. He goes, but when you ask, don't doubt. He says, when you you pray and you doubt, he goes, you're not going to receive anything. So I'm mask without doubting, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. He's a double-minded man. You're just kind of blown and tossed. It's like, well, I believe. Eh, I kind of don't. I kind of, eh, I'm just going to throw up the prayer anyways. He goes, guess what? I'm not going to listen to that. Come to me. Accept humbly that my ways are beyond yours. Okay, you're not that smart. Sorry. Okay, as far as the heavens are above the earth. That's where I am, and here you are, okay? And so you humbly come before me, not with doubt, like you might know better than me. You might give me some insight into something I don't understand. It's like, no, God, you're so far beyond me. I just don't get it. That's the thing I've learned about this book that has helped me so much. I read so much of this book that I disagree with, we're all going to read things in this book we disagree with. The question becomes, when you disagree with it, do you assume God is wrong or you are wrong? That's that's the issue, you know? And I've chosen to live life going, I'm going to assume that the eternal one knows more than the 47-year-old. I'm going to assume that his wisdom, like he says, is beyond. And I'm telling you, It changes everything. And it's that type of humility where you come before God and go, okay, you know what? I'm not doubting you. I'm doubting myself right now because I'm questioning you. I'm doubting you right now because I'm angry. I'm I'm doubting myself, I'm sorry, because I'm angry or this feeling, that feeling. I'm not doubting you. Help me, Lord. And he goes on in the next verse, in verse uh, 9. He says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom fails and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Again, he says, those of you that are in humble circumstances, maybe you're going through trials right now, he says you should actually glory in your high position. You know what? Is life tough right now? He says that's actually a good thing. Rejoice in that. Glory in that. Going, you know what, Lord? You're putting trials around me. I'm going to take joy in this because you're going to mature me through this. And then he says, the one, is your life easy right now? You're just loaded with money and, and you're looking good and everything. He goes, you know what? You should glory in your humiliation. He goes, that's all going to end so quickly. And there's a principle in life where the immediate so often robs you of the lasting. That the immediate pleasures in life, we've all experienced it, right? Right? Haven't there been times when there's an immediate pleasure right in front of you and you just jump all over that? And it destroys something that could have lasted. And that's what you see in Scripture all the time. It's about this faith that says, okay, I'm going to give up the temporary and the immediate for something that's lasting. So on this earth, you know what? Like Jesus says, you will have trials, you'll have pain, but it's all about, I believe that there's something coming, Lord, where moth and rust don't destroy. And all my money, my health, whatever energy I have, I want to invest in that. And I'll, I'll take what I need to take on this earth because I believe something is coming. See, if you don't believe that and you just think here and now and are trying to make sense of it all, it's not going to make sense because Hebrews 11 says there's people who die in the name of Christ. They never got to enjoy this prosperity, and this health, and wealth, and comfort, but that doesn't mean they don't have an eternity waiting for them, where because they've sacrificed things on earth, that they actually have a huge, huge eternity waiting. And then the the verse kind of, or the section somewhat concludes with verse 12. Listen to this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. He says, okay, some of you are going through trials that I've never even felt. I I, I can't hold a candle to the pain you're going through right now, and there's a reason you're here right now. And the Bible says, blessed are you if you can persevere through that, because the Bible says once you've been tested, there's that word again, tested, while you made it through, you're mature, you're complete, once you've been tested, he says, then you receive the crown of life, the crown which is life, this life that comes after this one, here comes this crown which is life, which God has promised to those who love him, interesting choice of words there. You would think he would say, God has promised that crown of life to those who have persevered. But he doesn't say that. He says, persevere because I'm going to give you the crown of life. I give the crown of life to those who love me. You see, it's, it's synonymous. Those who persevere through the trials are synonymous with those who love him. That's the same thing that's happening in the book of Job, right? Job's going, he doesn't love you. He loves you because you give him everything. You take that away and we'll see if he really loves you. And when Satan takes it all away and Job says, hey, blessed be the name of the Lord, God says, see, I told you. He loves me it's the one who perseveres through the trial that loves me. I've met so many people who walked away from God when life got difficult. And what does that say? Sometimes it's bad theology. I'll give you that because maybe you were taught in church. You follow Jesus. Everything's going to be great. You're going to be healthy. You're going to be wealthy. No problems. And so when it happens, you doubt, which I understand that that's just bad theology, bad teaching you got. But a lot of people They will follow Jesus until it gets difficult. And God says, no, it's the one who perseveres that will get the crown of life because it's the one who perseveres is the one who loves me. And then uh, he goes on. We don't have time to get into it, but you know, in verses 13 on, then he starts talking about temptations. He's not just talking about the things that hurt, but the things that tempt us and about the temptations. And, and, And again, it's right in that context of love because look, If God gave me everything, man, of course I'm going to love him back. But what about when life is difficult? I prove by enduring trials that I love him, and I prove by resisting temptation that I love him. I prove there's desires in this body that are just perverted, they're just sick, and that's part of life. As is, is you'll read on, it's just, man, when I'm tempted, I'm just going, no, no, God, I love you more than that. That's why even some of us, we fast, and we go, look, God, I want you more than I want food right now. I'm not even going to eat because I, I want you more. It's like, right now, I'm just so hungry for you. It's like, man, yeah, sure, that steak looks good, but you looks, I'm sorry, you guys are all vegan. It, you know, that, that <laughs> carrot looks good, but, but God, you, you know, it's saying I want you more. And here's the thing. Let me close with this thought. Look, when you look at life, okay, I've got, I have five kids, been married 20 years, five kids. My wife's pregnant with our sixth. I know, it's crazy, huh? I know, my oldest is in college and I've got a baby coming and everything in between. But I am crazy about my wife, so madly in love with her. All of my children, yeah, you know, I have favorites, but you know I love them all. <laughs> every parent does. You, you try not to, but you do. And, uh, but, I love them all like crazy. And you know what? I wake up every morning going, "Man, this world is so crazy, God. I don't know what's going to happen today. I don't know what's going to happen to any one of those that I love so deeply." I don't know what's going to happen to me. And, and you face these types of trials every day. And the Bible says you persevere. That's part of loving me. And then come temptations. Man, I have so many temptations in this body, in this mind. Some of the thoughts that will flow through this mind are so evil, disgusting. And so I have to spend my whole life fighting some of these desires and feelings And so you can look at that as this like this Mount Everest type of thing where you just go, God, are you serious? So I'm going to live every day of my life here on the earth knowing that I could have a true Job-like experience. Man, and not only that, but then I'm going to have these temptations and desires every day and you're telling me those are second to your glory and your purposes for me? So I'm going to spend my life enduring trials Resisting temptation and all of this could come at me at once, and you can just go, I can't do it. And believe me, I've prayed that to God. I've said to God, God, I'm tempted so badly right now. Why don't you just take me home? Please, please kill me right now because I don't know if I can make it another day fighting all of this. I just don't know if I can do it. And yet, what the Bible says is yes. That just feels insurmountable. Therefore, God says, what I will do is I'm going to put a power in you. I'm going to put my, my very spirit will actually enter your body just like he was with Christ. Remember when he was baptized and the dove ascended upon him, symbolizing the Holy Spirit? He said, I'm going to do that same thing for you. So just like he was able to walk through the trials, the temptation, I'm going to enable you to do it. And so through the trials, you're going to become more and more like him. Remember that heart where before you couldn't resist anything? You just had to go with whatever you felt? He said, I'm going to change that heart of stone, and I'm going to turn into a heart of flesh where you'll actually want the things of God. To where when you sin, you're not even going to like it. And, and it's going to drive you nuts, and it's, it's going to change you. It's going to give you a new power. And you know what? Through the trials, even when you lack wisdom, you can just pray to me, and I'll give it to you. I'll give you generously. You'll get it. You'll start getting things. You'll start looking at life in a different way. See, all of that is available to you. If you're going to try to do this on your own, forget it. But the Bible says that God loved the world so much That despite all the rebellion, all the times where we said, you have no right to tell me what I can and cannot do, he says he sends his son in the midst of that. And he says, you know, I'm going to have my son because I still love you. I know what you say about me. I heard you. I see what you do in secret. I still love you. And I'm going to have my son die on a cross. He'll pay for all of your crimes. And if you believe in him and you believe that he could give you the power to change And become like Christ. He says, I'll enter into you. We'll have a covenant. I'm knocking on the door. Come on, let me in. I can change that heart of yours. doesn't mean your flesh is going to suddenly be free from temptation. No, we're going to fight things our whole life. It doesn't mean you're going to be free from trial. No, you're going to endure things throughout all of life. But he's saying, "Let let me in. I can make you what I created you to be. I can change everything and I'll carry you through the trials. I'll hold you during the trials, during the temptation, and that's what this is all about.